Well, good morning and welcome to everyone across all of our campuses. If you are joining us for the very first time today, whether you happen to be here in Stafford, down in Fredericksburg or online, we are so excited that you have chosen to be with us. And regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, maybe you have been following Jesus your entire life, it seems like, or maybe you are checking out church for the very first time. I just want you to know from our heart that we're so glad you're here and our hope and our prayer is that, you know, sometimes visiting a church can be overwhelming and intimidating at times. And our hope and prayer is that you find this place known as the Mount, a place to be welcoming and inviting and loving and friendly and whatever word you want to use there. And I hope that we can answer any question that you have as you get to know us. And I do want to say that if you are joining us for the first time today, or maybe the first time in a while, I think you picked the perfect Sunday to be here. Today, and this will make sense as we go, and if you've been here all month, you'll understand this, but today I think will be a historic moment in the life of our church where we get to, and what you will see as a visitor is you're gonna see something that we are gonna do at the end of our service that is a public display of what we believe about our church, that we are not happy being complacent. We are not content with what God has already done. We believe that God has just begun something and we are excited about what he is going to do in the future. And so next week we'll gather back and we'll celebrate that, but I do wanna pause and let you know that next week is a big Sunday here at the Mount because next week is our Baptism Sunday. It's one of the few we have each year. And so you can clap for that. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And so I, I wanna encourage you, regardless of the campus you're at, if you have committed your life to follow Jesus, whether that's recently or a long time ago, and you have not taken that step of baptism, man, what is, what is holding you back? I would ask you to just kind of get involved with us in this next week as we celebrate the fact that there is a God who lives today and changes lives today. And so if you're at one of our physical campuses, you can stop by a guest services desk or you can scan the, the QR code that's on the seat in front of you. Or if you're joining us online, you can go to the link that's right on the screen right now and you can head there and get signed up as we celebrate life change. And so, like I said, we are in the final week of a series titled Together. And over the last several weeks, over the course of this month, what we have been doing is talking about who we are as a church. We've been talking about unpacking some ideas around where we see God leading us, maybe God pushing us or pulling us to go over the next three to five to seven to maybe even 10 years. And one of the, the key verses that sort of connected this entire series together through us is found in the book of Ephesians. When Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he's encouraging them on a, on a difficult moment they are going through, this, this kind of tipping point moment for them. And he says this to them as encouragement, as their power in the local church. And he says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us. And so I'm going to pause because he's basically saying, listen, we're going to give all the glory to God, all the credit to God. We're going to give God all the praise because God is going to do something in us, through us. When we, when we lean into his power, not our power, when we lean into his power, he's going to do something in and through us. He's going to accomplish what? Something that is infinitely. He doesn't say God's going to accomplish a little bit more than we might ask or think. He says, when we, as the local church, 
And the people who make up the local church, when we lean into God and his power works in us and through us, even our wildest dreams, the things that we would, like if if so-and-so would just give their life to Christ, he's saying, no, 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 God's gonna do infinitely more than you will ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. And this, as we've gone through this series, this has kind of been the heartbeat of what we've been talking about. We've said that we believe as a church with everything in us that the local church, the expression where we are gathered today for thousands and thousands of years throughout history, the local church has always been at its best. It has always thrived when it has been bold and courageous to take bold steps of faith, believing in a God who does infinitely more than the local church could ever ask, dream, or imagine. And God does incredible things through impossible situations with ordinary people. And because, and you know this, what we believe determines what we do. And we said that as the local church here at the Mount, one of our things is we want to be is people who are kingdom-minded, big dreaming, bold thinking, risk-taking people, people who are willing to take bold, obedient steps of faith, trusting and believing God to do the impossible in and through us as we seek ultimately to bring him glory and to introduce other people to the story that is Jesus for the very first time. And so over the course of this series, we've been rolling out our Together campaign, which is a three-year generosity campaign where we have said over the next three years, above and beyond our normal operating budget, we are seeking to raise an additional $7 million, believing that God does big, bold things through his people. We want to use this $7 million, just as a recap, to plant three new campuses by the year 2030. As a multi-site church, we believe that the the Great Commission, when Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 28, and he's telling his disciples to go into the world, everywhere, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every all over the world, to make disciples, to teach them, to introduce them to the good news of Jesus, to build them up as disciples, and then to send them out. We want to be the type of church, the local church, that doesn't just build a building and have people come to us. We build sites, locations, taking the gospel, the good news to them, so that we can create these gospel hubs and situations and circumstances and places where people can experience the good news of Jesus. And we have said by the year 2030, we would love to launch three more. We've also said that part of this campaign, that $7 million, we want to eliminate the debt that we carry as a church, the $1.3 million to, to free up more money in our annual operating expenses to allow us to be able to take more kingdom-minded moves and big things for God. And lastly, we want to do some technological and physical updates and renovations to our existing campus spaces to help us better accommodate for the, the influx and growth that we've experienced over the last two years. And What we've said, and I've said this throughout this entire series, this this series and this campaign, yes, it's about money, but it's not just about money. It is about so much more. It's about what we believe about the local church. It's what we believe about this place being the hope of the world. The local church being the very place that God has ordained in all of his wisdom and all of his plan to bring light into a dark world, to bring freedom into a place that is full of bondage, to bring grace into a place that is full of legalistic slavery. It is the hope of the world for not only our lives, but our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. We've said this series is about what we believe about Jesus being first and primary 
and sufficient. It's about a lot more than just money. And not only that, it's about generosity. Because we've said over and over again that generosity in our spiritual lives are, are deeply connected. I've used the phrase, our spiritual life and generosity are fundamentally connected together because we believe that the two coexist because, and I would say, if you're taking notes, you might write this down, because you and I as human beings, we were created to be generous. We were created, every single one of us, whether we have given our lives to Jesus or we're still kind of living our own way, unsure about this whole God thing, at the root of us, at our core, when we, original creation, we were created to be generous. In fact, you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. You go back to the, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and you see this story of a God in Genesis chapter 1, of a God who is a creative God. He creates things. We're told that he creates things out of ex annihilo, out of nothing. We're, create, we're told that he creates animals and water and land and universes. And at the end of creation, at the crown of creation, he creates humanity, man and woman. And it tells us that God created man and woman, humans, in his image. This theological term, imagio Dei, it's this idea that you and I, as human beings, we are made in the image of God. No other thing in creation can say that. Does that mean that you and I are God? No. That was part of the fall in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, if you're familiar with the story. But what it does mean is that you and I, as human beings, there is this special status for us where we are made in the image of God, which means that you and I have the attributes and the abilities and some of the, the functionings of God. We are like him when we are at our best. Yes, the fall has corrupted that in all of us. But when we are at our best, when we are at our perfect, you and I were created to be generous. Why? Because we're made in the image of God, and God is a generous God. He's an incredibly generous God. In fact, all throughout Scripture, what you see is situation after situation describing God's generosity. Scripture tells us that God is generous with his grace. He is generous with his goodness. He is generous with his kindness. He is generous with his love. He is generous with his mercy. He is generous with his patience. He is generous with his blessings. He is generous with his spiritual gifts. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, and maybe one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, we see that God so loved the world that he what? He, he gave generously his one and only son. God and his divinity and his divineness, he decided, he looked down at humanity and he didn't give Jesus to us generously when we were at our best. He didn't look down and see a bunch of people who were right and good and righteous and holy and say, I'll give them a gift. No, he looked at us when we were at our worst, Romans 5, 8, when we were far from God, wandering from God, left in our sin, when we were betraying him and rebellious and idolatrous. He looked at us in that moment and in the greatest act of generosity, he offered to us his son so that you and I would be redeemed and forgiven. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes it when he says it this way, talking about Jesus. He says, you know the what? The, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we could stop there and talk about that verse for the rest of our time together because it's, it's Paul's letting us know that we should know of the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my mind immediately goes to that salvation moment, that moment when we experience the love of Jesus for the first time. But what I think Paul is trying to communicate here is that Jesus is generous in much more than that moment. Jesus is generous every morning you wake up with his grace. He is generous with his grace every night when you go to bed. He is generous with his grace in every day and every month and every week and every hour. 
He is generous in every relationship that you have. I am the husband I am, not because I'm a good husband, but because God is generous with his grace in my life. I am the father that I am, not because I am a good father, but because he is generous with his grace in my life. And the verse continues. Go back for a second. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was what? What was Jesus? He was He was rich. Yet for our sakes, your sakes, he became so that by his poverty, he would make you and I rich. The essence, what Paul is describing here is he's saying God is generous and you and I were created to be generous. And Jesus was so generous that Jesus was rich in everything he could ever need. But he chose to generously lay down his life and to become poor so that you and I, those of us that confess to follow him, so that we in turn would become rich. And therefore that would allow us to be generous to other people. You and I were created to be generous. Jesus was generous, which means, don't miss this, we are most like Jesus when we are generous. Jesus was generous, and we are most like Jesus when we are generous. Now, let's pause. I'm not saying like just financial generosity here. Remember, this series is about more than money. We are most like Jesus when we are generous with our time. We are most like Jesus when we are generous with our love. We are most like Jesus when we are generous with our hospitality when we are generous with using our spiritual gifts for the body of Christ, we are most like Jesus and we are generous. But that also means, and don't miss this, that means we are also generous, or we are also like Jesus and we are generous with our financial life. Now, and this is why our goal as we have gone through this campaign is 100% engagement. We've said from the very beginning that our goal is, yes, money is a part of this campaign, but our goal is spiritual growth and spiritual development. For you and I, those of us that call this place our home, the mountain our home is our goal, is for 100% of us who call this place home to be engaged in this campaign on some level or another as we allow God to stretch our view of resources and finances and our view of generosity. Why? Because generosity is deeply tied to our spiritual lives. Just like with our other areas of our spiritual formation, just like our prayer life or scripture reading, growing in our generosity is how we grow to be more like Jesus each and every day because there is a fundamental connection between the two. And this is why over the last couple weeks, this is a recap, we looked at Colossians chapter 1, and if you were here in that second week, we talked about where Paul makes this profound statement about the rank and the status that Jesus should have in our lives. And he says this in Colossians 1 verse 15 and 17, he says, the Son, which is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. There's that phrase again. And he says that Jesus is the what? He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn over all creation. It says, for in him all things were created. All things in heaven and on earth, all the visible and the invisible, whether it's a throne or a power or a ruler or an authority, and he's trying to cover everything. And he says, all of these things, everything in creation has been created through him and for him. That means you and I are made by Jesus for Jesus. Every aspect of our lives is made by Jesus and for Jesus. Why? Because he is what? What is he? He is before all things. And we said, if you were here that week, we said that Jesus, when Paul is writing this to the church in Colossae, he's encouraging them. He's telling them to put Jesus in the proper place in your life. And we said the example was for so many of us, we have a piece of paper. And if Jesus is important in our life, we put Jesus as number one. 
And then maybe our spouse is number two. Maybe our family's number three. Our career is number four. Our financial security is number five. And the list could go however we want it. And we said, once we feel like Jesus is first in our list, everything else is good. But what happens is, is then we can begin to compartmentalize and say, well, I've got the Jesus part taken care of. The rest is all mine. And we said, no, no, no. When Jesus is first, when he is the firstborn, when all things are held together by him, when he is above and beyond everything else, the very list we create, all of our priorities are not at the, Jesus is not at the top of the list. He's the very paper that the list is written on. He holds everything together and he must be first in every area of our lives. Which is why I ask you this question. Is God and his kingdom first in every area of your life? That's what together is about. It's about you and I as a church proclaiming publicly that God is first, preeminent, sufficient. And last week, if you were here, we looked at the connection between sacrifice and trust. And we asked this question. It says, what am I sacrificing to deepen my trust in Jesus? And I don't know about you, but that word sacrifice is just a tough word for me. Because when I think of sacrifice, I think of giving up, of letting go. And I don't like that. But here's what I want you to see. Remember, this is not just about money. I want you to see this chart that I have for you. And so here's how this plays out. For you and I, when we begin to put Jesus first in whatever area of our lives it happens to be, when we put Jesus first, what happens is it causes us to want to sacrifice something. And maybe we don't want to sacrifice something. But when I begin to put Jesus first, that means my wants, my needs, my desires, my wishes, my hopes, my expectations all of a sudden have to take second place or third place. So by the very act of elevating Jesus to the priority that he demands in Colossians 1, it causes me to sacrifice whether I want to or not. And when I do that, when I begin to sacrifice, and I don't know about you, but in my life, when I begin to sacrifice things that I want, that I feel like I need, that I feel like I should have, I begin to feel angst in my soul and uncomfortable, and it begins to make me wish and long for that very thing as almost it will satisfy me and it will complete me, which in turn, when I put Jesus first in sacrifice, that leads me to a deeper trust in him. Because I have to acknowledge that the very thing I thought would fulfill me and complete me and satisfy me won't. I gotta trust him. And I don't know about you, but when I do that, I come out of it with way more joy. I come out of it with way more peace, way more satisfaction. And, and, and let, let's take finances off the table for a second. When I put Jesus first in how I use my time, I have to sacrifice how I want to use my time. And I have to trust that all the things I want to do, my hopes and my dreams and my plans, Jesus' plan is better. And then as I do that daily and I walk in his plan, I experience joy and completeness and satisfaction, which causes me to do this more and more and more. It's not about money. It's about your spiritual life. But money follows the same pattern. When I put Jesus first with my finances, I have to sacrifice the things that I want or I think I need. And I have to trust that Jesus will be enough. And you know what? When he is enough, and he will be enough, I find complete joy and satisfaction in having less than I thought I really needed. 
there is a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and how you handle and think about money. Our spiritual lives and generosity are connected. And here's what I'm hoping you're beginning to see over the last couple weeks is that generosity is a transformational act. Living a generous lifestyle is transformational in the way that it affects other people, right? It it transforms them. When we are generous with our time, our resources, our money, whatever it happens to be, when we are generous with those things, it affects other people and it blesses them and maybe it points them to Jesus or encourages them or deepens their faith. It is transformational in their lives. When we are generous with our resources, it is transformational in how it advances the kingdom of God in the here and now, not just for eternity. It changes lives now and moves the ball down the field to the red zone in God's kingdom. But not only that, it is transformational, not just in how it changes others or advances the kingdom of God, but the very act of being generous is transformational to you and I's heart because what it allows us to do is to let go and trust more. Why? Because Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure goes, your heart goes. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and generosity. It's not something I want from you. It's something I want for you. And so here's what I want to do with our remaining time this morning. I want to look at a passage found in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we will be. And so if you are following along in the Mount app, you can see the scripture references there. If you're joining us for the first time, maybe you don't have a Bible or an app, you can follow along on the screens with me. And so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is where I'm going to give you some context, but we're only going to talk about 9. We've talked about 8 a little bit. But the idea here is that 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And chapter 8 and chapter 9 are what are probably in all of Scripture maybe the longest section when it comes to kind of generosity and offering and tithing, kind of the idea of financial generosity in all of Paul's writings. And Paul's writing to this church. And what's interesting is when Paul, and we've looked at chapters 8 a couple times over the last couple weeks, Paul's writing to this church and he's basically encouraging but also telling, not demanding, but he's encouraging, maybe pushing, nudging the church in Corinth to begin living a lifestyle of generosity because, and he's going to tell them, they are missing out on something by not engaging in this spiritual practice. And what's interesting is this section of scripture is this very blurry line for Paul. Because most of the time when we think of the theologian Paul, we think of Paul as pastor, theologian, and church planner. But in this passage, these two chapters, Paul is actually pastor, theologian, church planner, fundraiser, right? He's he's, he's living all of these out and he's showing us as a church that it is okay to lean into this topic. And what he wants to do is he wants the church in Corinth to live a more generous lifestyle because of something they're missing. And so Paul has this logical argument that he makes beginning in chapter 8. And he begins, and this won't be on the screen, he begins in chapter 8 by comparing them to a different church. Now, That is not normally a good idea to do as a pastor. But Paul does this. Paul basically says, hey, church in Corinth, I want you to partake in this spiritual lifestyle, this generosity, and let me just give you the example of the church in Macedonia, the Philippian church. And what he does is he distinguishes the two, and he says, you, the church in Corinth, you are rich and wealthy, and you have an abundance of things, but your generous lifestyle is lacking. But the church in Macedonia, the Philippian church, they are poor and in poverty, but their generous lifestyle is overflowing in good deeds. 
And he, he gives this example. And what's interesting, and this is me making a connection here, so if you disagree with me in this moment, that's fine. You have every right to be wrong, and I will just let you be wrong. But what's interesting is when Paul, because we've said that money and our spiritual lives are directly tied together, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the church that is not being generous, and what's fascinating to me is he has six times more negative things to say about their overall spiritual health than the church is living generously. It's as if there's this trigger. It's as if this, this one last stronghold for many of us, when we can let go of it, the snowball will begin to turn in our spiritual life. And so Paul tells them this example. And in case the example's not enough, he's gonna tell them, okay, maybe that example's not enough. And in the rest of chapter eight, he gives them the example of Jesus. And we looked at this passage a minute ago, Jesus who was rich in mercy and all these things, he became poor so that we would be rich. And he's basically trying to get them to understand this other church is living it out. Jesus lived it out. Now I want you to live it out. And then in, verse, in chapter nine, he picks up by saying this, and I wanna read you this. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, right? So he's already given them the example of the other church and the example of Jesus. But I think Paul knows the human nature within us is that's great for that church. That's great for Jesus. But what about me? Maybe you've never thought that before. Maybe that's just me. So he's going to answer this. He's going to say, let's talk about you, church in Corinth. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's going to begin the conversation by just letting them know, Corinthian church, I just want you to know, that there is a connection. And this is gonna sound weird when I say this because this, you're gonna be like, oh, is this prosperity gospel? It's not, and I'm gonna unpack it in a minute. But Paul is making the case here that there is a direct connection between blessing and generosity. And he continues. He says, each of you should give what you have what? He says, I want you to decide. I want you to make the decision ahead of time. Pre-decide. What are you going to do? Decide in your where. Where are you going to decide this? In your heart. It's where you feel led. It's a personal decision for you. And he says, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not from shame, not from guilt, not because somebody's twisting your arm and there's emotional manipulation. You know, it's not a Sarah McLaughlin video with old puppies and things like that. No, he says, I want you to give based on what you have decided in your heart to give out of the goodness of your heart. Why? For God loves what? What does God love? Now, let's pause for a second. I don't know about you, but he's, he starts with the connection of saying there is a connection between blessing and generosity. And then he tells them this phrase, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read scripture as somebody who has wanted to live their life following Jesus, modeling my life after him as much as possible, when I see a part in scripture and it says God loves something, I, I, I kind of want to lean in and be like, okay, like if God loves that, I want to ask, am I doing that in my life? Because if, if I read in scripture and it says God despises something, I want to lean back from that and say, I don't want to be a part of that. But if God loves something, I want my life to be in the center of his love and his will, what he has for me, because I know it's a protective boundary that he wants for me. And it says God loves a cheerful giver. Wow, I want to be a cheerful giver. This, this, this word, cheerful, a lot of times we just think God likes a happy giver. Like, like I can't, if I give 50 bucks, I'll be mad, so I'll give five and I'm happy. No, no, this, is not, this doesn't mean happy. Like, then I'll tell you the word, and you're going to instantly know where I'm going with this, and then we'll unpack it. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, the word cheerful is the word hilarious. So, in essence, and just, I'll paraphrase this in my own phrase, God loves someone who's giving, is so ridiculous and outlandish, 
that it causes them to laugh out loud with hilarity. Let me unpack that. In other words, God loves someone who says, God, you were so generous to me. I want to be just like you. I want to be so generous to everyone and everything around me that even when I don't think it's possible and I have to trust and sacrifice and you just keep coming through, the only thing I can do is look at my spouse and look at my friend or look up at you and laugh out loud because no matter how much I try to outgive you, you just keep showing right back up. He loves a cheerful giver. It continues. Paul writes this. And God is able to what? And this is a whole phrase. I want you to say, God is able to bless you. That's borderline prosperity there, Paul. What are you talking about? It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you want. Wait, I said want. It's need. There we go. That makes more sense. It says, having all that you need you will abound in every good work. Paul has moved from, here's what this other church did. Here's what Jesus did. And now he's basically just telling them, hey, listen, when you are generous, God will bless you. And we don't like that in the American church. Because what we immediately go to is, well, if I give 5,000, will God bless me with 10? If I give 5,000, will he bless me with 2,500? That's a great return on him. No. This is not talking about financial blessing. This is not talking about your ROI, return on investment. This is not talking about that. We do see that in scripture. Remember the, the lady, the widow in 1 Kings chapter 19, where her jar and her oil never emptied. What this is saying is there is a direct connection between us living out the image of God and being generous and God blessing us when we faithfully live out as ambassadors to him to the world around us. That blessing won't be everything we want. It'll be everything we need, but not everything we need financially necessarily. It'll be everything we need to why? To abound in every good work. In otherwise, when you live a generous lifestyle, God will bless you abundantly, not just some, but abundantly so that you can do everything that God desires for you to do to live a faithful and righteous life for him. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want a life that is abundant and abounding. I want that to be on my tombstone. He was abundant and abounding in the riches of Jesus. He continues. He says, as it is written, and he's quoting back, and he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also, he's talking about God. He, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply in what? Not just supply, but increase your store of seed and he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen. Paul basically says, listen, when you live a generous lifestyle, the one who provides everything you need in life anyways, he will increase and enlarge your righteousness. And I, I don't know about you, but as a dad, some of you are parents, I'd much rather my boys be righteous than wealthy. 
personally, I would much rather be righteous than wealthy. What Paul's saying here, there is a direct connection. When we let go, God opens up. He continues. He says this. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on what? On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will, it'll result in thanksgiving to God. I'll come back to that in a second, but just keep that in your mind. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He continues, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will what? What will they do? They will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in the sharing with them and with everyone else. And I'll just bring it home with this. This is the verse 13, 14 months ago that I've been praying for some of you for a very long time. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, here's the example of the other church. You don't buy it, that's fine. Here's the example of Jesus. You don't buy it, that's fine. Here's the example where God's gonna bless you when you live this way. You don't buy that, that's fine. But he brings it home and basically says this. Your generosity, my generosity, our obedience will cause others to praise God. We exist as a church to make a difference for one more. Our generosity changes eternities. Just imagine with me for a minute. Just imagine the year is 2030. We've planted three new campuses. We have seven total. And week after week, whether you attend the Stafford campus, the Fredericksburg campus, the online campus, the Almonte campus, the Bealton campus, or X or Y or Z, wherever they happen to be, regardless of what campus you are seeing, every single week you are seeing new people come to faith. You are hearing stories of a husband and wife who thought their marriage was dead and over and all of a sudden it's fixed. You are seeing kids who were wandering far from God, who were stuck in a home where no one loved them, showing up to a church where a volunteer is looking them in the eyes saying, there is a God who loves you so deeply, there are thousands and hundreds of teenagers who are coming to a place where the world around them tells them that that is all they have to live for and they come and interact with volunteer after volunteer who says there is so much more power and potential in you than you have ever recognized or will ever know. Imagine a place where the people that live in our communities, our schools, our zip codes, imagine a place where every single week we hear story after story of them saying, Jesus is now Lord of my life. He is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I have surrendered my all and been baptized and I can't wait to live for him. And you, us, because of our generosity, we will be able to look back on today and say, I had a part in that. I had a part. Your generosity, your sacrifice changes people's lives. My family and I, we are all in. Our staff is all in. Our elders are all in. Will you be all in with us? We exist for one more. On the seat in front of you, regardless of what campus you're at, there was a card when you came in with a pen. 
The card looks like this. I'm gonna ask you to, to pick that card up for a second. Some of you, you've known this is coming because you've been here. Some of you, today's your first day and you're like, oh, what did I walk into? That, that's okay. Here's what I wanna do. If you are visiting us for the first time today, or maybe you're just here, but you, um, we're not your church home. You can just hold onto the card and you don't have to fill this out. This is for those of us that call the Mount our home. And here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask you to fill this out. Our goal is 100% engagement. What does sacrifice look for, like, look for you, for you and your family? And so on this card, you're gonna see, you can write your name, your email, your phone number, just your basic information. And then there's a line that says my slash our total three-year commitment. And what we're asking you is not your total giving over the next three years, not just including your normal giving. We're asking you, what are you committing to the Together campaign that is above and beyond your normal giving as you are all in with us on this? That's the total we are asking you to write in that line. And then below that, you can see the examples. And this is just for us, for some housekeeping, so we know how to anticipate the cash flow. You can tell us what that's going to be, if it's going to be weekly, monthly, annually, or if you're like, man, we're, we're, we're selling something and we're just going to give it all and it's a one-time gift. We would love to know that so we can anticipate the cash flow as we launch these campuses and pay off the debts and do different things. And then the very bottom, maybe you are, God has been stirring in your heart lately and yours is not a cash monetary gift. Maybe it's something else, some sort of property or stock or something like that. You can list that down there and write in the details or even just put contact me and someone will reach out to you. I promise that. And so just here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a minute as a church to pray about this and to fill this out. And here is my final charge as we move past together. Be bold. What would sacrifice look for you? And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and then I'll come back up with our instructions. So let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful that you are a generous God. God, we beg, we ask that as people who call this place home, that when everyone sees us, hears us, talks to us, interacts with us, they would see the image of God through us and the way we live sacrificially and generously for you. God, we trust that what we are about to do will bring you glory and point people to you for the very first time.